0: The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah 26, and we're going to come back to this later. Jeremiah is trying to convince the people of Israel that the temple, which they think is the heart of safety because it's God's house, and God would never let anything bad happen to his house. He's trying to convince them that, no, God has turned against you. God has abandoned his house, and now we need to turn back to him. There's no more safety in Jerusalem just because it's God's chosen city. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. Then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house, meaning the temple, this house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant'?" And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. And then the priest and the prophet said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he's prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. And then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you've heard. Now therefore, mend your ways and your deeds, And obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that He's pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I'm in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do, do you mind if I take a couple seconds and explain what's going on there further than what I just did? Okay, so uh, Babylon is, is on its way to destroy Jerusalem because Jerusalem refuses to pay taxes to Babylon. Babylon sort of quasi-conquered Jerusalem and insisted you have to pay taxes to us. The, 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 the uh, Jewish king... And the people there would say, hey, we don't, we're, God's on our side. We don't need to pay taxes to them. Let's revolt and God will protect us. And Jeremiah keeps on going back to them and saying, do not revolt against Babylon. If God is not on your side because you have not obeyed his law. If you revolt against Babylon, they're going to send an army over here and crush you. And, uh, the people would still say, no, no, you're wrong. You're working for the Babylonians. You're a spy. Look at what we see in the text here. And you just be quiet. We're going to do what we think is right. And eventually, actually, Babylon does end up destroying them in 586 B.C., destroying the city of uh, of Jerusalem, just like um, Jeremiah said. Now, I, that's actually going to be important. I'm going to bring that up again in the sermon, so it's not just uh, good history, but keep, keep that in mind for the sermon. Okay, let's read the epistle text from Philippians 3 and 4. Uh, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. That's that's uh, that's uh, that, what he means is they worship their own physical desires, like their hunger, their desire for food, being sort of 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 uh, uh, shorthand for they just do they are controlled and worship their own physical desires and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and look what paul says this is not escapism it's not like god's going to blow this place up someday and we're going to float up to be in some playing a harp up in some ethereal uh, heavenly kingdom our citizenship being in heaven means that that the god of heaven is going to return and fix us in this place look what he says And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, so the Gospel reading is Luke 13, and uh, if, if, do you mind if I read through it again real quick? It's got some interesting things in it. Uh, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. So we, this is actually kind of a Reformation thing. We love to paint the Pharisees as these uh, Simon Legree characters, these evil villains with the handlebar mustaches and the black cloaks that are always out to get Jesus. Actually, uh a huge chunk of the Pharisees thought of Jesus as one of them. This is why they call him rabbi. is because they consider Jesus to be, in some sense, one of them. Or here you have an in instance where there are Pharisees, friends of Jesus, who are looking out for him and saying, Hey, look, we heard that Herod wants to kill you. You better run. They say, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finished my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And then he turns to like lament over Jerusalem, to actually speak to Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, interesting things to talk about here. There are five things that are a little bit, uh, uh, I was, let's just call them interesting. They're not odd, but just interesting that I kind of want to work through and then makes one sort of larger point uh, for us today. And that is, uh, he calls Herod a fox. Let's talk about Herod. Uh, there in verse 31, he calls him a fox. In verse 32 and 33, he describes this weird three-day mission. Today, tomorrow, and in the third day, I'll complete my race or my course. Uh, third, Jesus, in verse, in verse 34, this image of Jesus as the hen who wants to guard his chicks. Uh, what's up with that? The fourth thing is the forsaken house, the beginning of verse 35. Jesus says, behold, your house is forsaken. What does that mean? What does it mean that your house is forsaken? And then finally, this uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're not going to see me until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, I I guess that a lot of you are going to remember that that happens when Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly, immediately before his uh, arrest and crucifixion. Uh, but what do his hearers now hear when he says that? Like, they don't know that story yet. When he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what does that evoke in their minds? If, 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 it's a, if it's at all possible, let's work through those five things real quickly and talk about what they mean. Okay, so let's start with Herod the fox in verse 32. Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And then in verse 32, he says, go and tell that fox, uh, basically, no, I'm not going to run from him. Uh, Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the guy who, at Jesus' birth, wanted to kill the uh, the, peop- the, the, the kids that he thought were going to be a threat to him in Jerusalem. This is his son, Herod Antipas, who's taken over for him. Herod is uh, his father, Herod the Great, had been appointed to be the king of the Jews by Octavius, the nephew of Caesar, he, he, Herod the Great, have I told you this before? Herod the Great helped Octavius win the battle of Actium against Mark Antony, uh, which caused Mark Antony and Cleopatra to commit suicide. Uh, as, as a reward for helping Octavius win this battle, Octavius tells Herod, I will give you a, a nice uh, piece of property whenever I come to power. Octavius does come to power, uh, calls himself Caesar Augustus and remembering his old friend Herod who helped him names Herod the king of the Jews most of the Judea, most of the provinces of Rome had governors uh, but Judea was allowed to have its own king now the people the Jews did not like Herod for for, for several reasons uh, the, the most important ones being that he wasn't Jewish he was actually an Edomite he was an Edomian and also he wasn't a king Caesar was the king. He was kind of a fake king. Client king was the word for it in the ancient world. Uh, they did not like him at all, but Herod the Great was desperate to be seen by the Jews as their king, as their Messiah. And so he went to great lengths to try and do this. Probably his greatest project to try and get the, the Jews to recognize him as Messiah, which after his death, his son carried on. Herod Antipas actually... He didn't actually complete it either. It was completed after his death, but he continued work on it. Was rebuilding the temple. There's this uh, ancient Jewish custom that when the when the true Messiah comes, he will rebuild. The, he will rebuild and restore and purify the temple. Herod Antipas wanted this to be the case. He wanted to be the real king. He wanted to be the Messiah. But Jesus instead calls him a fox. This is one of two barnyard images that jesus is going to use here it is herod's job to look out for the people underneath his authority it's the job of all governments is to protect and defend their citizens but herod is a fox less of a protector less of a shepherd less of a good king herod has been eating the chickens he's been sneaking into the farmyard and eating the eggs That's what he is. He's a fake. He's your classic politician who sees the citizens as their own benefits, sees the citizens that they're called to protect and defend as tools for them to use in order to gain power. Herod, like current-day presidents all the way back to past kings and queens, was very, very self-centered. This is what Jesus calls him. He calls him a fox. We're going to come back to this. But basically, Jesus is saying that guy's messiahship is a fake one. He's a fox. Okay, moving on. Uh, the three-day mission. And we're going to try and tie all these things in together here at the end. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. This is what Jesus has been doing in his ministry. He's been helping people out spiritually and physically. He's been casting out demons on one hand, and at the same time, he's been hearing healing physical diseases uh, Jesus' ministry is holistic. Jesus is not interested in saving men's souls. Jesus is interested in what the, what the epistle reading calls the, the, the restoration of all things. Jesus has the power. What does the epistle reading say? Jesus has the power to make all things new, restore all things, uh, enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's what Jesus is about, and that's what he's been doing in his ministry in Galilee is casting out demons and performing cures. Now, he's going to do it for three days, today, tomorrow, and then on the third day. It doesn't say, I finished my course in Greek. It just says, I will be completed. I will be finished. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. It would be tempting here to see some sort of reference to Jesus being buried for three days. It's probably not the case. This is an idiom in Aramaic, this today, tomorrow, I'm going to do this today and tomorrow and the day after. It's an idiom for, I still have to do this for a while, an indeterminate period, but a limited period. I don't know how long this is going to take me, but there is a limit to it. At one point, I will be completed. So what he's saying is this. Herod's going to kill you, the Pharisees say. And Jesus says to him, no, I have work to do. There's no possible way you can kill me. I I have stuff I have to do. He can't stop that. This is the way that we should see our mission here in Glen Carbon, your personal mission as a part of St. James is to see it as God is doing something through me and it's going to get finished. What he's called me to do is going to get finished. I don't, it might, it might finish in 30 seconds. I might keel over dead. It might be 40 years, but whatever it is, he's going to do it. Herod can't stop you, right? Nevertheless, I will leave, he says in verse 33. So you're telling me to get out because Herod's going to kill me? Not possible. Herod can't kill me. I know how I'm going to die. Jesus knows how he's going to die. And Herod can't stop me. But I tell you what, I am going to leave. But it's not because of Herod. It's because I have this journey that I have to go on to, to Jerusalem. I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem because it is determined that I'm going to die in Jerusalem. Now, what does he mean by a prophet cannot... uh, 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 it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. He doesn't mean it literally, of course. I mean, he's well aware that John the Baptist did not die in Jerusalem. John the Baptist died in Galilee, and he certainly considered John the Baptist to be a prophet. What he means is that this is kind of a pattern. We saw in, in, in uh, Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah prophesied that the Babylonians are going to destroy this city unless you repent and worship the Creator God. And they said, no, your penalty for prophesying against the city is death. They let him hang around for a while, but we know from tradition that Jeremiah was executed for prophesying against Jerusalem, he, rightly even. He was a sawn in half. That was uh, what tradition says. Jesus knows that I'm going to Jerusalem, and the same thing is going to happen to me. I'm going to be executed because that's my destiny. Herod can't stop it. That's where I'm going. And that brings us to verse 34. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. So, so Jeremiah, the people of, of the people of Jeremiah's day see the pagan city that needs to be defeated as Babylon, right? I mean, Babylon is sending these pagan hordes over to take our tax money, and that's the bad. Those are the bad guys, and Jeremiah is saying, no, they're not the bad guys. We're the bad guys, but we're the religious people, they say to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, no, we're the ones that kill the prophets. We're the ones who use our religiosity to do damage to God and His creation. We are the ones who use religiosity as a veneer over our own hypocrisy, over our own selfishness, over our own brokenness and sinfulness, over our own oppression of the poor is a big theme in Jeremiah. And we say it's all okay because The temple, the temple, the temple. You guys remember that in Jeremiah, how they'll chant, the temple, the temple, the temple. We can do whatever we want because we have the temple. The temple is our get-out-of-jail-free card. And Jeremiah says, no, that's not the case. Jerusalem is actually the pagan city that needs to be judged. Jesus is saying the same thing. Jerusalem is the pagan city that's going to be judged. Now, in Jesus' day, it's not the Babylonians, it's the Romans. Jesus prophesies in Matthew 24 that the Romans are going to, if we do not repent... The Romans are going to come here and blow this place up. In fact, at the beginning of Luke 13, if you're actually in a Bible looking at it, you can flip over to the beginning of Luke 13. There's this bit where Jesus says, do you remember when Pilate slaughtered the Galileans by the altar? Unless you repent, don't imagine that the same thing's not going to happen to you. There are Roman swords in your future if you do not repent. If you do not give up your revolutionary goals... If you, do not, if you do not, first century Jews, give up your desire to overthrow Rome and stage a revolution, Caesar's going to come with his armies and he's going to blow you up. You need to stop trying to be Israel your way and start trusting me for my way. And that's where this bit about the hen comes in. I've often longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Now, do me a favor, put that on pause. We're going to come back to that hen image at the end. Let me go to number four real quick. And at the end of number five, we'll come back to number three, the hen thing. All right. The forsaken house. Look at verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken. Why is Jerusalem judged? Why is the temple no longer a safeguard for them? Because your house, and by your house, he means the temple that Herod's been building. It's forsaken. Do you imagine that God himself lives in that house? He doesn't. It's just a brick and mortar structure. You can go there and do your sacrifices. That's fine because Yahweh said in Leviticus that the place where he chooses is a good place to do sacrifices. But if you imagine that God himself is dwelling there and thus the defense shields of the Almighty are surrounding this city, you're wrong because God's left. Your house has been forsaken, much like Ezekiel's vision of the forsaken temple as the reason why the Babylonians were able to destroy the temple in 586 BC. Jesus says, This building that Herod Antipas is working on, that's been forsaken too. And in 70 AD, the Romans are going to come and destroy this place. It's defenseless. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? He's quoting from Psalm 118. Now this is interesting because Psalm 118 is this psalm that's sung during the days when the temple has been destroyed. It's sung in Babylon But it's sung as though the temple were actually still existing. Why would you sing a song about a temple that doesn't exist anymore? Because the Jews in Babylon were faithfully aiming towards the day when the temple would be rebuilt. So they had all these songs prepared for when the temple would be rebuilt. And Psalm 118 is one of them. Can I read to you from some of it? I'm not going to read the whole thing. But, But as I'm reading this, think about the temple in them, longing for God to once again dwell with them, and how Jesus is promising that that's going to happen. There will be a day, He says in our gospel text, there will be a day when you see me and you see and you say, "Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord." And that's just not like, "Hey, blessed is that guy; he's coming in the name of the Lord." It actually has temple prophecies tied up with it. Let me show you. Uh, jumping into the middle of Psalm 118, "Open for me the gates of the righteous." This is the Messiah talking. "Open for me the gates of the righteous." the gates of the temple i will enter and give thanks to the lord this is the gate of the lord through which the righteous may enter so it's almost like the jews in babylon are envisioning this like close your eyes and imagine that we're walking through this gate right here into the temple how often they must have done that how often you've done that you've done that you've you've looked back at the house that you grew up in that no longer stands or whatever or, or the, uh, the 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 whatever it is, the baseball field where your uh, Little League glories happen, and you imagine in your mind's eye what it would be like to walk back into that place. This is what the Jews are doing in, the, in Babylon. I will give you thanks for you answered me, Yahweh. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's awesome, because in Luke 20, we're not going to look at this, but in Luke 20, Jesus quotes that exact same verse, the stone the builders have rejected, has become the cornerstone in a prophecy about the temple and about Jesus' rejection of those who killed the false prophets. In the parable of the wicked tenants, he says, "You always God always sent the prophets to you and you always destroyed them. Then he sends the son to you and finally you're going to destroy the son because, and he quotes this verse here, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, you want to rebuild the temple? You know that big stone that you were like, ah, we don't want to use that stone. That's me. And God's going to go back to the scrap heap, and he's going to pull that cornerstone, Jesus says, me, and he's going to plug me into the cornerstone and rebuild that temple around me. That's what he's saying here in Luke 20. That's that's kind of extra, though. That's not the sermon for this morning. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. God's building the temple again. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. It's actually in Hebrew. It's Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. Think about light shining in the temple. Think about Moses in the tabernacle and the pillar of fire. The presence of God's light in the temple is the presence of him. There is coming a day, Jesus says, when God will once again dwell in this temple and you'll see it. And when you see me, you'll know it's true. And you're going to yell out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because you will know that once again, God has dwelt in his temple. Now, in a few weeks, we'll talk about the triumphal entry, where they say it, but they don't understand it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's get our swords and fight the Romans. And Jesus has to say, no, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord means something different than fighting against the Romans. What does it mean? Let's go back to number three here, and Jesus is going to tell us what it means. Back in verse 34. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? Another piece of barnyard imagery. When does a hen spread her wings so that her chicks can come underneath of it and be protected? It's not when a fox comes. When, when an animal attacks a, a chicken coop, everybody scatters. There's one time, this is, uh, it, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to, to overestimate how big of a crisis how often of a crisis fire was in the ancient world, even up until a hundred years ago, with the advent of good uh, uh, f- fire prevent fire preventing architecture and engineering. In a barnyard fire, a hen will call her chicks to gather up to gather underneath her wings, and it is not infrequent in a barnyard fire that when the fire has passed, the hen will be scorched, burnt to death and under her wings will be live chicks. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 34 is I want to be that hen. I've invited you guys to get underneath my wings and to bear the brunt of Rome's fury. To give up your revolutionary aspirations and to trust me for my way of Israel and to allow me to carry on my shoulders the hatred the hatred and the military might of Rome. But you wouldn't, and it's going to be your undoing. And it was. In 80 70, AD, AD 70, the Romans, Josephus tells us, crucified so many people, so many Jews around the hills of Jerusalem that you couldn't even see the ground. That's how bad the Roman destruction of Jerusalem was. Jesus longs to be that for them, to be the one who takes the torture. And he still longs to be that hen. You guys know, all of you in here know, the torture, the fallout, the blowback from worshiping false gods. We all have made gods out of our bellies from time to time. We all imagine that this physical desire that I have, if I can just satisfy it, maybe it's the desire for food or for drink, or for sex. Maybe it's the desire, You know, I talked about this last week, the desire to be in control. Maybe it's the desire for a good vacation. You all have known this. You all have known getting into that relationship and it being a letdown. You all know what it's like to go on vacation and know while you're on vacation. This isn't gonna ultimately satisfy me because in three days, in two days, now in 24 hours, I'm back on the plane headed back to home in the bad weather and work. You all know what it's like to think, you know, I just want this meal. And then to eat that meal and be hungry three hours later or sick to your stomach. You all know what it's like to work hard to get that, to get that promotion. And then you get that promotion and you, work, you move into that new office and you're like, this is so cool. And then two months later, you're the same person looking at you in the mirror. It's the same job and the same people and the same problems. We make our gods, we try to hide under the wings of all these different things. And they always end up leaving us scorched as well. You know what it's like to have shame. You know what it's like to battle that one sin that you just can't crack the code on, that you try and you try and you try and you always fall. And Jesus longs to hide you under his wings and to take the fallout from all that pain and all that shame if we'll just let him if we'll just trust him for being human his way and repent of being human our way. Amen.